Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you with uh, video here on YouTube, otherwise audio only on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, okay, so as you can see, uh, if you are watching on video, I am joined by my lovely wife, Melissa. Hello. <laughs> Glad to have you on. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. We did an episode of the Sensibly Speaking Podcast last September about the subject of depression. And we kind of opened up about some issues that we've had personally, as well as talking in general, and um, about you know different commentary about the mental health field, about psychology, about Scientology and my background with that, um, and how it, how it relates to psychology and psychiatry. And then a couple months ago, I um, attended the first day of a two-day, what was supposed to be a two-day workshop, on the subject of suicide prevention and suicide intervention. And what um, uh, uh, sort of a, the workshop was designed around the ASSIST program, A-S-I-S-T. And I will put a link to that in the show notes for this episode as well, because we're gonna be talking about that a little bit. I didn't finish the two-day seminar because um, there, was a, there was a blizzard yeah. <laughs> and the weather was insane. <laughs> Um, so I, so I went through it again. I did the first day over again. It's a two day deal. You got to do both days all day in order to actually be certified. And so that's what I did. And it was a very, very, very educational experience. Um, very, very worth my time. Draining though. It was a draining experience. It is not a light topic. Uh, and getting down and dirty with, um, you know, why people will look into or, or become in a state where they will consider suicide, uh, how to uh, see the invitations for help that people will offer. Sometimes they are verbal, sometimes they're nonverbal. Um, you know, sometimes it's barely an invitation at all, but the signs or indications that somebody is contemplating that, um, you know, are there. They're, they're often there. And people um, many, many times do, you know, are, are wondering about it as an option, thinking about it as, you know, maybe they've come to a place in their life where they don't see any other options. And so that's the only one that they've got. Uh, or they get to a place where they think that the world would be better off without them for some reason. So, um, so there's lots of cues and things that you can, you know, that you can see. And, um, and it's important for all of us <laughs> to, to know about this stuff. It was so interesting. It's, it's, it was a sort of a confidential workshop, so I can't really get into the details of who was there or the shared experiences that we had there. I don't want to get too much into that because I'm, I'm not supposed to talk about, you know, what the, the, the specific things that we talked about during the workshop. But, of course, the model of how to, you know, engage with somebody who's uh, considering suicide. That's, there's nothing confidential about that. I don't mean to imply anything about that. It's just that I, I can't get into the specifics of what I uh, learned about as far as some of the specific experiences that people have had with this. Uh, but it is shocking, really shocking, how the, the range of uh, people who, uh, from all different walks of life, all different economic statuses, all different success levels, all different age groups, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but um, 
But anyway, it was a very eye-opening experience. And, um, and it was a very empowering experience too, because I'm no longer uh, as afraid of the subject as I, as I used to be. And I did, like I said, in the podcast I did a couple months ago about this, I talked quite extensively about it. I think I even went into the um, model that we learned, the, um, uh, it's called the PAL or PAL model, um, uh, Path for Ass- Assisting Living, mm-hmm. I believe is what that stands for. And, uh, um, so I'm not going to get into all of that again. This isn't a rehash of that podcast. What I wanted to have Melissa on for is because we said last September when we did our podcast that we would be doing more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about this stuff, right? About depression, anxiety, mental health issues. And there's just an endless amount, not endless, but there's certainly a lot of things to discuss about this that need to be discussed. This podcast is more of a community service action than most of my other podcasts because um, this is a subject that I don't just feel passionate about it because I just did a two-day workshop on it. Uh, I feel passionate about it because I have learned over the last many years what an ex- how extensive this is, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I feel that I should be using my platform to to talk about this stuff, you know. It's not salacious and sexy like the Scientology stuff is can can be, but it is <laughs> far more applicable to the everyday experiences of of individuals out there. And so now that I've learned more about it, I feel that it's you know it's incumbent upon me to raise awareness on a general basis about this topic. So that's what this podcast is going to kind of focus on. Not just suicide, but mental health in general, as you'll get from the from the title of the podcast. So the other thing that I wanted to make right out of the gate here, the other point I wanted to bring up is how, not only is it shocking how prevalent or widespread mental health issues might be in the, in the population at large, it's also shocking how easy it is to intervene and help somebody out. It's amazingly oh, yeah. easy, yeah. you know. One of the things I will share that I learned uh, that's very nonspecific is that um, there have been many, many cases of people who have had suicidal ideation, who have even tried to commit, su- or sorry, I shouldn't say commit suicide, who have tried to suicide, um, and, and didn't succeed, and then said later on, if someone had only said, how are you doing? What's up? I noticed you don't look like you're doing so great. Mm-hmm. You know, this could be mm-hmm. a family member, this could be a friend, coworker, right. total stranger. You know, one thing I can share is that, is, um, because it came from the, not, didn't come from uh, a, an individual who was there, but from one of the um, presenters, was that there was a man who uh, jumped off the San Francisco Bridge. Uh, he's actually publicly talked about this. Uh, he lived. You know, he, 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 yeah, he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and he lived. And he said after the fact, had someone just said, hey, what's going on? How you doing? It would have stopped him. Would have stopped him from doing it. Instead, somebody came up to him uh, and asked him to take a tourist picture. Huh. You know, hey, can you take a picture of us? Uh, totally ignoring the fact that he was standing there staring deeply into the water. <laughs> but, you know, it's not always obvious. It's no, not, you know, no. it's not a matter of blame, shame, and regret on this thing. It's a matter of all of us just being a little bit more aware of what's going on in our environment. Um, you know, we talk about, 
And of course, even as we're recording this right now, um, there was a news article today that there was an active mass shooter incident going on, I think, in Virginia. I just gleaned, I just glanced at the headline as I was doing prep for the show mm-hmm. here. I didn't, there's, there's, it's, it's still literally an, uh, an, you know, a, a happening thing right now. And I couldn't help but wonder, you know, it's a big controversial thing that we bring up mental health every time there's mass shootings. Right, I really right. don't know why it's so controversial. Clearly, somebody who goes and gets weapons and executes a mass execution has something going on up here. You you cannot refer to that activity as sane, rational behavior. Therefore, it's to some degree insane and irrational. Therefore, there's probably something going on Mm -hmm. that you would at least say is (laughs) non-optimum in their heads. You know, there's something happening there. And I think one of the things, you know, you've seen this, we've talked about this so many times because unfortunately there have been so many of these incidents. And it seems that people think that if you bring up mental health, that you're somehow attempting to rationalize that behavior. Well, I think too, people that do have mental health issues, you know, that have major depression or bipolar or whatever, they they don't want to be lumped in with these mass shooters because that happens a lot of times too, where it's like, oh, if this mass shooter is crazy, then that means everybody that has a mental illness is going to turn into this. And we don't want that sort of stigma either, you know? So it's kind of it's kind of hard because, yeah, there is something wrong with you if you go shoot up a bunch of people. That's obvious. But at the same time, most people that have most mental illnesses aren't going to do that. Well, there you go. And mm. I, I, I mean, I, I find it difficult that I even need to say this out loud. But <laughs> there are so many different kinds of mental illness that to, to blanketly say that anybody with a mental illness is a potential mass shooter mm-hmm. is itself almost indicative of a mental illness as far as oh, I'm concerned, God, or yeah. at least a gross level of ignorance on the topic. Um, and I get the fear. I get why people oh, sure. who have mental health issues like depression or anxiety or um, you know, bipolar or whatever that are nonviolent uh, by their nature, uh, and I mean those individuals are nonviolent by their nature, um, could, be, could take it upon themselves to be offended or upset mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. mental health is being brought up. Well, I don't necessarily agree that that is a, is, a, is a proper stance to take because I think that these individuals needed help and they didn't get the help that they needed earlier in their life. And of course, by the time they're you know, racking up the guns and the ammunition and go out and do whatever they do, that's, we've passed the point of, oh, they just need to go see a psychiatrist. Now we have to incarcerate them. We have to put them through the justice system. I mean, we have to do all mm-hmm. this stuff, right? Because they're so far gone. But were they born that way, you think? I don't think so. I don't think that it had to go that way. I don't think it had to be that right. they were going to, that fate somehow made it that from the day they were born, they had to end up as a mass shooter. I think that intervention could have potentially saved their life and the lives of so many others 
had it occurred earlier. Maybe that intervention had to happen a year earlier, two years earlier. Maybe it had to happen five or ten years earlier. I mean, some of these shooters are just kids. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I don't Your know. Your brain's that. not even done yet. Well, exactly. You know? um, but So I think in those cases, it really could have been, you know, even up to... Uh, in, in some of those cases, I think it could have been even up to a month before it happened. There could have been a successful intervention. Mm -hmm. And you'd mentioned in when we were doing show prep for this that there was uh, here in Colorado. Yeah, the if I'm remembering right, the Aurora shooter James Holmes, like he was seeing a psychiatrist at school, and she was concerned and went to you know the higher ups or whatever and said, "I'm concerned about this gentleman." And they just ignored her. And so, right. you know, it's, it's not good. We can't, we can't ignore it. When someone's asking for help, when someone's showing signs of mental problems, you got to intervene. You can't ignore it. You can't just make it go away. Pretty much. And there are, uh, we'll, we'll get into this at the end of the episode, but there are so many resources available for assistance or intervention. And I think, again, we just run into ignorance more so than we run into maliciousness or, or, uh, or ill will, you know, on the part of the public at large. Mm -hmm. I think it's just an ignorance of, of the resources that are available. And the other thing is the stigmas that are connected with us. And this is what I really wanted to tackle head on with this episode is the stigmas connected with mental health issues, suicide being, you know, uh, one of those things. Uh, or suicide being a manifestation, mm -hmm. I guess, of one of those things, if I want to be really more accurate about it. Uh, um, you know, there, there are misunderstandings. There is toxic masculinity when you get into the law enforcement and military field. There are, um, you know, ignorances. There's also old, outdated ideas mm -hmm. connected with a lot of this that, uh, that create these stigmas. People think of straight jackets, I guess, or being locked up in an asylum mm -hmm. or, you know, being on, uh, getting a, a chemical lobotomy right. or, or a physical lobotomy, right? I mean, that stuff is, is the barbaric old school stuff. That's not a, or an accurate, thinking about psychology or psychiatry or mental health treatment in those terms now is thinking in old school, old terms, you know? Well, I think our media does that to us because I know when I watch movies and TV shows where they show someone going and, and getting institutionalized, it's always this crazy place where everyone's just off their rocker and all these horrible things are happening. And it's like, I myself haven't been institutionalized, but I've visited people that have been. And mental hospitals, at least here in Colorado, are not like that. You know, like they're calmer environments, people get their own room, there's not people running around doing crazy things. Most of them are like on medication, so they're calm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the medications that for those people in those situations they sh that they should be on. Mm -hmm. I don't know that, you know, that we're living in an over-medicated asylum situation. No, no. I would certainly say, before, before anybody hits the comments now on, on over-medication, <laughs> right? I do believe that we do live in an over-medicated society. And I do believe that the percentage of children, especially who are on psychotropic medications, is too high. 
Like I said in the last podcast on this though, it's context specific. You have to look at every single individual. You cannot make broad scale judgments about who should or shouldn't be on mm-hmm. psychotropics. And I know I just did that by saying too many kids are on, but I, my educated um, opinion on that comes from um, research and study on how they're prescribed you know, and also the, the fact that the psychiatric industry and, unfortunately, the general medical field mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is rife with, you know, well, just, just script. Just here, here's your script, here's your script, here's your script, right? And, um, and that's a reflection more on the quality and state of, our med- of the medical field oh, in yeah, general, yeah. not just psychiatry. Because it's not just psychiatrists. I think it's the general practitioners who tend to over-script overprescribe mm-hmm. these drugs more so than uh, the psychiatrists. And we, we're really bad at the gray area. Like you said, we should be doing it case by case and looking at each kid individually. And also kids' brains, once again, are not done growing yet. So, you know, maybe they shouldn't be on medications till they're an adult because we don't know what that's doing to their growing brain, you know. So that's a, that's a thing I've always had a sort of... Uh, mixed feelings about whether or not kids should be on psychotropic drugs or not. Yeah, it's a, it, is, it is problematic. I'm not even pretending that this is some black and white, easy to solve issue. We've got it all figured out. Not even mm-hmm. close. Okay, not even close. I'm not even like trying to go there. I'm trying to say that, um, that medications work for some people and uh, they don't work for other people. And it really takes individual watching and caring and and monitoring in order to be able to tell what's going on. I mean, you've been on different medications through the course of your life. Some worked, some didn't. Mm Mm-hmm. Some were scary, (laughs) you know? Right. So it's just like you got to play around sort of, and sometimes something works for a while and it stops working. I, I know people where that's happened, where they've had to switch because it just didn't work anymore. It didn't control their mania anymore. It didn't control their depression anymore. Right. And, uh, and we know, and I will fully acknowledge that studies and uh, the, the research that's done on this stuff by Big Pharma is far from adequate or, oh, yeah. or perfect. And some of it has been fraudulent. We mm-hmm. can fully acknowledge that. Um, and yet, some of them still work for some people. So that's what we've got right now. We have to utilize what we have. And we have to put more, not less, attention on these things so that they get the necessary reviews and peer review and, and the science industry, right, pharmaceutical industry. Uh, we, 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 you know, we have to keep those balls rolling down the road. We have to keep that work going. Scientology, for example, wants to shut all of it down. They just blanketly mm-hmm. say none of it works, none of it's successful, it's destructive flat out. No, that's wrong. That's, those are lies. Those are not true statements. And Scientology, as I've shown in many videos on my channel, doesn't have anything approximating a decent solution to mm-hmm. the mental health problem uh, you know, in, in the world or in the United States. They want to shut down all the asylums, close all the psych offices, mm-hmm. you know, get rid of all the pharmaceuticals, and replace it with taking a walk, and getting, you know, trans induction, Scientology auditing, 
and the introspection rundown for true psychosis, which is locking somebody up uh, and, and really going barbaric, old-school, uh, quote-unquote, treatment on them. So we've already, I've already laid all that out on my channel, and, um, and there is just no way that Scientology has a clue. No. Uh, and so, um, you know, and, and I think that's pretty much recognized even in the anti-psychiatry field of people who get together and, and want to reform psychiatry, improve psychiatry, get rid of abusive psychiatry, as they should be. Mm -hmm. um, even those guys don't want to have anything to do with Scientology. So, you know, so good on that. But getting back to the stigma aspect of this, um, we've got to overcome these stigmas. You know, I don't think anybody really has an issue if you showed up at work and, and, had, a, and had your arm in a cast. Yeah, no one's going to... No one would freak out about yeah. that, right? Right, right. I no one's, so. no one's going to be like, oh my God, Joe's in a cast. What yeah, do you yeah. think? What? Oh, man. You know, like, yeah, I, you yeah. know, this There's isn't going to be rumors flying around. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like, oh, you broke your arm. <laughs> What'd you do, you moron? You know, I, yeah, I, I yeah, tried, yeah. you know, I fell off my ladder or whatever. And, and uh, you know, and you had an accident and there you go. And it's just that stupid and simple and easy to talk about. And nobody has any real problem or issue talking about that. But when it comes to what's going on up here or all through here, I mean, we point to the brain, but really it's, it's an entire nervous system or it can be an entire nervous system issue. Um, people start freaking out. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm thinking maybe that, you know, one reason for that is because, um, you can't see it. Right. But I, I, I truly believe that, that more of the reason for that is because of the centuries of abuse that people have had to endure when they've suffered from mental afflictions. The, you know, the bedlam and the mm -hmm. locking people up and all that. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um... And I think those are the things that linger in people's minds. You know, I'd be curious to anybody out there who also has ideas about what might be underlying some of these, um, the, the, the ignorance or the stigmas connected with mental health. Why don't people want to talk about it? Why don't they want to deal with it head on? I think also they um, have an idea that messing with somebody's mind is dangerous mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. something, you know. But I think, too, one of the reasons people don't go to work and go, hey, I'm bipolar, you know? Like, you can go to work and pretty much talk about other things that are wrong with you, but, like, with mental illness, it's most people are not going to talk about it because it's it still happens where people get fired for having a mental illness, even if they didn't do anything. I mean, I know someone that that happened to. And... It's just this fear around it. People are like, oh, we don't know what you're going to do. You know, you're mentally ill. Oh, my God. And it's like, well, just because someone's mentally ill doesn't mean that they're not taking care of themselves. They, they might be on the right medication. They might be doing therapy and all that stuff and be just fine. But we have this fear that mental illness means super crazy and we're going to lose it at any second, you know. <laughs> right. And I... You know, I, I've been living with you for years now, and you haven't lost it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just wait. No. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, okay, and and here's the real tragic part of this. I mean, this, this is a field that is sort of blooming or blossoming or is coming into its own now. Finally, mm -hmm. uh, I think, 
as a, as, a, as a more serious science, not just as this like nonsense and torture and abusive crap that they've been doing for the last century. But, but I think really, you know, people are really trying to now understand this. Um, the, the, one of the tragedies about our modern world now still, though, about this is that the people who need it the most, the people who are in the highest stress jobs, the most mentally and physically fatiguing jobs, the, the ones who have to face the real nasty mm -hmm. of our society, and I'm, by this I'm talking about the police, the military, the firefighters, um, first responders of any kind, actually. I mean, because you have a whole gamut of people who are, you know, really heroic people just for showing up to work every day because of the uh, unbelievable crap, I guess, that they, you know, that I'll say, I guess I'll say, uh, that they have to see, mm -hmm. hear, get their hands into, you know, deal with on a daily basis. I mean, if you think about the daily life of what a cop could run into mm -hmm. or what a firefighter has to see, you know, we, the, the, the classic image of the firefighter running into the burning building, coming out with the kid. Well, what about the times when they run into the building and they're too late? Yeah, it doesn't work out. And there's the, you know, there's a dead kid. I mean, they have to deal with that. They have to process that. And, you know, and, and it's, it's rough because they go home and their spouse may or may not understand. They may or may not even want to talk about it with their spouse. Might be appropriate sometimes, might not be appropriate other times. I don't know too many spouses who want to hear about some of the grim and gory details of what a police officer or a military person who's been on deployment for a tour and comes mm -hmm. back after being in, you know, in Afghanistan or somewhere in the Middle East or somewhere in South America or anywhere in the world where the military has to be the military, they come home. I, I, no, I don't know that, that those military spouses or whatever are prepared to deal with that uh, or that they want to bring it into the home. So, right. um, so the resources available for them, well, there are more resources now than there ever have been as far as I understand it. But uh, I'm going to use this, I'm going to bring this up, this toxic masculinity, that this... this um, attitude that exists within the military especially and in law enforcement actually both of these things I can say for sure I can't really speak to uh, the other first responder professions I don't know that EMTs have this kind of stigma connected with their work or and I'm not sure about firefighters but I know for sure that uh, cops and military personnel consider it a a uh, a demark, a, a, a bad mark on in their file. They're terrified of going to a counselor, going to a therapist, because it's going to end up in their file, and mm -hmm. this is going to affect mm -hmm. their career path. This is going to literally that could change, that could make or break whether they're going to get a promotion or or a um, change in you know venue or position or something, right? Um, because of this stigmas connected with mental health, and yet these are the people who need mental health help. I'm not saying any of these people are mentally ill. I'm saying that they have professions <laughs> that stir up things, you know, in them that we would never, that you and mm -hmm. I in our daily course of our lives would never have to experience or run into. Yeah. I have never seen a dead body. 
in 49 years of my life, I have never seen a corpse. Not even at like a funeral? No. Wow. No. Mm. I never have. Uh, I, certainly, I've never seen a, a, a gunshot wound, a live, actual gunshot wound that just happened. I've never had to deal with uh, a, a disaster like a, a, a place going up in flames. Or uh, I have had first responder situations come up. I have had medical situations come up right in front of me that I've, that I've dealt with. But really nothing more serious than somebody throwing up or, mm -hmm. or having, you know, something, some kind of like unexpected thing come up. I can't even imagine what it would be like to go to work every day knowing that anything like that could and will come up almost every day. I mean, especially if you're like a cop in L.A. Mm -hmm. or you're, again, deployed to Afghanistan. Um, you know, or, the, or somewhere in the Middle East or something, an active hot zone. I mean, who knows what you're going to see. Mm -hmm. Literally, you can be, it can be completely calm and peaceful one minute, and then, um, you know, explosives are going off, and people, and people you know and have worked with for months or years, suddenly their bodies are in pieces all around you. I can't even imagine mm -hmm. what that feels like, what that, would, what that experience would be like. I honestly can't. I mean, I get an idea of it, but I know my idea of it isn't remotely similar to the actual experience. So these people are almost denied <laughs> by, their, by the fact of their profession and circumstances and the attitudes and stigmas connected with it. They are practically denied Mm -hmm. the exact thing that they need more so than the rest of the general population. Right, right. You know? So, uh, so I think that it's really time now. I think we've really hit a point uh, in our evolutionary path that we start facing this head on, that we start really looking at what's the problem? Why is this such a problem to talk about? Why are we so afraid to talk about it, right? I, and I think it's going to be individual for each person. I think there are, you know, it's probably a laundry list of reasons why we have to be afraid of this stuff. And, and so I'm only going to talk in general terms to say we need to start Xing off the, the, those items on that laundry list, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, it's not a reason why. It's not a good reason why. And this goes back to um, all of us having friends, family relations who could have suicidal ideation mm -hmm. or other stress of PTSD. Uh, it, that's, that's a thing, right? I mean, I've had, I've experienced that. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have people to talk to and work through the, 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 the things that I was going through and that, you know, I've shared it with you guys. I mean, in terms of talking, I've even used you guys as therapists out there, uh, you, the audience, you know, uh, but if I didn't have that resource, if I didn't have that outlet, if, if, if all the things that had happened to me over the last six years had to be bottled up inside of me because of fear that I couldn't talk about it because it might affect my career trajectory, I would not be the happy-go-lucky person you see most mm -hmm. of the time uh, here on my channel and on the show. There's just no way. I'd be, I'd, I'd be buzzing, you know, uh, all the time, very much like I was when I was in the C organization. You know, I mean, I was able to keep a composure, but inside, mm -hmm. I was a mess. 
a lot of people would say I still am, but it's a very different kind of mess now, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so I really, really want to appeal to everybody out there who's watching or listening to this or taking the time to, you know, look around at the people in your life. Look around. Look at you and the, yourself in the mirror, right? And, and, and then look at the resources that are available to you all around your community because it's actually quite surprising when I went to this workshop and we, one of the handouts that we got at the end was um, a list, a two-page list of uh, associations, groups, volunteer groups and state-sponsored or city-sponsored groups, suicide hotline, um, there was a youth hotline, there was an LGBT hotline, mm -hmm. there's a trans hotline. I mean, they've, they've really focused in on these things. They're very, very, some of them are very specialized, some of them are very broad in general. Um, but there were, I mean, 40, 50 of these groups. The biggest complaint about, about you know, some of them within the, within the network of these, of these groups is that they silo maybe a bit too much. They don't mm -hmm. work together or cooperate or coordinate enough. But that's a problem. I'd way, way rather have that problem than not have those resources available at all. Uh, that's a problem we can solve. We can always improve and increase coordination between mm -hmm. these groups. Uh, not having the groups is, is, the, is the worst situation, you know. But having said all that, I wanted to ask you, mm -hmm. you've had many more years of experience in this area. What, would, what do you think we should be moving towards? What, how should this look? Like just psychiatry in general? Or, yeah, mental or... health treatment and availability and uh, attitudes about it. Well, I'd love to see the attitudes change. I'd love to see people be more open-minded about it and not just think that people are making crap up just to get out of things. I'd love to... I'd love to see more health coverage for it. I mean, it is... There's a lot of insurances that don't even cover mental health stuff or therapy or those kind of things. And then the drugs are so ridiculously expensive. So you either have to have good health insurance, because if you have bad health insurance, it ain't getting covered, or you have to be poor enough to get on certain programs. And if you're in between and you don't qualify for any of that, what do you do, you know? So I'd like to see that change to where the medication costs come down and it's easier to access that. Um, I'd like to see, you know, where if you get prescribed psychotropic meds that it's, you know, a psychiatrist prescribing them, maybe not a general practitioner, oh, or yeah. the general practitioners are more educated about what they're doing and, and have to get more training, you know, because a lot of times they don't really know what's going to work best, you know, because they're not as well trained as a, a professional psychiatrist. I, I'm just going to interrupt for just a second because I want to say um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that was made in terms of the proliferation of psychotropics was giving general medical doctors the power to prescribe those drugs. Mm -hmm. They have no business doing that as far as I'm concerned because they are not mental health specialists. Right. And say what you will about psychiatrists, at least they have spent years learning about mental health issues. Right. General practitioners have not. In fact, it was shocking for us, for me to learn just how ignorant general practitioners are about mental mm -hmm. health issues, including even noticing 
the invitations for somebody who is contemplating suicide. And, uh, and we actually went over that in a little bit of detail during the, the workshop. We, they weren't bad-mouthing the medical profession. That's me. I'm doing that. <laughs> but I want to make it clear that, you know, you, you, we really need the specialists mm -hmm. to know what they're doing and to be specialists. And, and, to, and, and it really should be, as far as I'm concerned, it should be a requirement that you see that kind of specialist in order to get that that kind of mental health care. And it should be affordable to go to the psychiatrist as well, because yeah. that's not cheap either. So, you know, there's a lot of barriers in our society to getting help. I mean, therapy's expensive, psychiatrists are expensive, the medication is expensive. You know, so what, what do you do when you have all these barriers against you? Of course we're gonna have all these crazy things happening in our society because we're not making sure people that have mental health issues and illnesses are taken care of, you know, and Basically. when you do that, when you don't take care of the problem, it just gets worse. Exactly. And when you mix all of what we've been talking about with all the other things I talk about on this channel about how extremists are made, how indoctrination occurs, right? How, how all of us suffer from, suffer, have cognitive <laughs> problems, right, <laughs> put it, to put it mildly, you know, the illogical thinking that we all engage in, mm -hmm. the, the, the mechanisms that exist, right, you know, the, like the cognitive dissonance that can occur when you have two different thoughts and they're, and they're ba banging against each other. If you have issues with processing your thoughts and then you have all that kind of stuff going on, I mean, just, I mean, these are, this is, uh, the susceptibility to extremist thinking, to indoctrination is, is higher with somebody who's got cognitive problems or issues. Mm -hmm. So it's really, I mean, these, two, these things do connect. These dots are not completely disrelated things. And so if we want a better society, as you just said, mm -hmm. we've got to pay attention to this stuff. You know, in the end, our mental health is a, is a, is a direct primary factor is to the health of the rest of our life. Our physical health, our well-being, our family life, our, the, the, the nature of our uh, quality of our relationships, the quality of our life. All of this goes back to what's going on up here. Right. There isn't some other place that we're experiencing life from. <laughs> you know, even if you believe in a spiritual existence, it's still going through here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's still going through the brain. And so if this thing ain't working properly or it's got little tweaks that it could use some help with, um, this, is, this is the thing to solve in order to improve everybody's quality of life. Right. And lift up the whole society as a whole. I mean, it really does come down to that. And is there anything else that you would like to see changed or improved or different about how mental health is dealt with or stigmas or communication connected with that? I just want people to be believed, you know? Like I want when someone says, I have depression, for not to be like, oh, you're just lazy. Or, you know, someone that says they're bipolar and they're like, oh, you're just using that as an excuse for whatever, you know? And it's like, no, no. Like that's gotta stop. Or, or not even believing you have that disease and that you're just making it up. Like I want that to change, you know, for people to believe that it is as bad as it is. And one thing like I've seen these memes going around lately too is like there's different 
levels of every mental illness. And so a lot of times, like, you'll believe someone if they're really severe, but if they're functioning where they can go to work every day and, and keep a job, you don't believe that they're mentally ill. <laughs> so I'd like to see that change where it's like, just because you can go to work every day doesn't mean you don't sometimes feel like jumping off a building. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, you know, and, and threats of suicide, for example, um, are to be believed, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. uh, the, these are things you should be taking seriously, whether it's coming from your kids. I mean, the shocking thing, one of the most shocking things I learned at this workshop was just how young uh, it can happen. Just because you're a small, undeveloped brain in a, in, a, in a young life doesn't mean that you can't be contemplating seriously ending that life. Uh, in, in fact, I'm kind of surprised in a way that it doesn't happen more often amongst um, young children. Uh, given the fact that they're still developing and are immature and, and have mm -hmm. lots of things to learn about the world and, at large and, and that kind of thing. Uh, certainly makes a whole lot of sense to me with the, the, the pressures of modern life and social oh, yeah. media being the way that it is and bullying mm -hmm. online happening the way that it is that it's no surprise to me at all that we have such a problem amongst the teenage population. Sure, and... and your teenagers especially, but even sometimes younger, because uh, my sister and I started presenting symptoms younger than that, but your teenage years and your 20s are where you really start to see your mental illness and, and, and really show the signs of it and everything most of the time. I mean, sometimes it's later in life, but the majority of the time, that stuff starts presenting in your teens and 20s. You know, with the bullying and, and the social media stuff that goes on and just all the ways the kids have figured out how to be mean to each other now. I'm so glad I'm not growing up right now. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, and a lot of people, especially those of us who have lived through it, might look back at our teenage years and think the whole thing was just a big mental illness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with the number of, of, of uh, hormones that are racing through your system uh, when you're that age, I mean, it's amazing yeah. anybody survives it. Well, then you mix that with if you're starting to present your bipolar symptoms and you have hormonal imbalances because you're going through puberty. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, we, like, this isn't, you know, it really, I mean, it, in many ways it is rocket science. It's neurology. There's a lot of deep, deep, deep knowledge to have about this uh, when you really get into the chemistry and brain science and biology of it. But... Um, but none of us have to go there in order to understand that if somebody's looking a little down, maybe we should ask them, hey, right, man, you right. look a little down, what's up? Is it really that hard? No, it really isn't, you know, and look at the potential consequences for not doing that, you know. And, and don't turn your back on people that are in the middle of something. Like, I would say, yeah, it's really important to be there for someone that's going through depression and be by their side too, but, like, for people that are bipolar or schizophrenic and they're having an episode, like you have to, you know, kind of put stuff aside and go, look, I, maybe they're being a real asshole right now, but I know it's because of the bipolar. So I got to just figure out how to help them out in this manic state and not walk away because that's the worst thing you can do. Hmm. Hmm. All right, well, there you go. I really hope, um, and I'm probably failing at this, but I'm hoping that this is not coming across too preachy. Uh, you know, you learn new stuff, you wanna pass it on. Mm -hmm. And that's and that was really the point with this. Um, there are 
Every community has its own list of resources. There are national hotlines, of course, here in the United States. I'm sure they exist in other countries as well. So I don't, I'm not going to put a laundry list of links on the show here to all of the different resources that are available. I'm going to instead plead with you, the audience, to look them up for your area. Just Google it. Community resources for mental health. Community resources for crisis. I mean, just Google that. You'll, you, there are lists available. There are tons of well-intentioned, th there's thousands of volunteers out there as well as trained professionals who are working very hard, who've, many who have dedicated their entire lives to trying to help other people with this. And they are not, not one of those people is perfect. Every single one of those people, professionals and volunteers, will make mistakes. They will fumble the ball. They will stumble. They will, they will say the wrong thing at the wrong time. But their heart's in the right place, and they're doing the best they can with the resources that they've got. And some of those resources are actually pretty impressive at this point. Some, some communities, some states have really got their collective shit together on this because they are sick and tired of the school shootings or the mm -hmm. mass shootings or the mass problems that come from a lack of earlier attention to these issues. So I think you, some of you out there might be, I certainly was, some of you might be really surprised at the, at the, the, the width and breadth of, of help that's available out there at no or low cost as well as the, you know, getting to the Beverly Hills psychiatrist, you know, which, which is not what we're really talking about here, you know. Um, so check those out. Take the time, you know. Print out a little spreadsheet of them. Stick, on your, stick them on your fridge. It's, 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 a, mm -hmm. it's a kind of thing that you kind of have to remind yourself about because in the day-to-day -day work of, of, of life and living and craziness, it's easy, so easy to forget about this stuff. Um, but it's not hard to learn about. It's not hard to do something about. And I think if all of us um, did, were willing to look into it a little bit more and do something just a little bit more about it, we would see such a change in our society as a whole. I really, really, truly believe that. So, because uh, it's too easy. It's too, you, you know, this was actually... <laughs> This was actually something that L. Ron Hubbard said, <laughs> which I can't believe I'm going back to quote this, but it really, it, it hit me at the first, the first time I heard it, and it just occurred to me now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, this isn't a direct quote or anything, but it's a concept, an idea that I, that I think is actually true, despite the fact that L. Ron Hubbard said it. And that is that it is so difficult to hurt or push people down because they're fighting you. They don't want to be pushed down. They don't want to be hurt. But conversely, the corollary to that is that it is so easy to help somebody mm -hmm. because almost 100% of the time, not 100% of the time, but almost, you're going to have their assistance. They want help. They want their lives to be better. They want things to be better for themselves. And, they, and when they get to a point of suicide, uh, they just are, they, they can't figure it out anymore. They've reached their limit. But what problem out there that really matters was ever solved by just one person? Right. You know, we all need help sometimes. So don't be afraid to reach out and ask somebody if they need some help. 
You know, you might be really surprised at how easy it is to do it. So, that all being said, did you have any last thoughts? No, I think that's it, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very <laughs> much for watching this whole thing and listening to us preach at you about all this. I, um, I you know, we'll, we'll see about doing, you know, more episodes on this yeah. topic in the future. And, uh, and we'll see where that goes. But thanks very much for coming around. Leave any questions, comments, or feedback in the uh, comment section here on YouTube or at SensiblySpeaking.com. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.